warned you though. That was nice of him. <laughs> hey, got the pop up on the app also, so I saw it. Okay. It says I'm supposed to avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. And then the, the app tells you guys that I'm yeah. recording you, which kind of like ruins the fun for me. I don't think you'd ever have a legal snag. I would like some legal snags. No, uh, it depends on. I don't state think you would. Way. Oh, okay. It does it depends on what state you're in. You get it. You know your state laws about recording conversations, my dude. Yeah. Well, I'm depends sorry. on if it's decided or not, right? Not something I've researched. I haven't had a need. Uh, let's just. I get into some more freaky shit than you do, probably. So <laughs> things I need to know. All right. Uh, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. On that shit. note. Yeah. Well, yeah, practical shooting after dark. Here we go, guys. On deck tonight, Mr. Joel Park. Yep, he says hello. Mr. Kim, say hello. Hello. Mr. Hopkins, also here. He's not going to talk. <laughs> I was just doing what Joel was doing to see if you'd say it again. Stand there like a dumbass. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I said hello. Well, guys, uh, you, you all know the deal. Everybody comes here with a topic. Uh, we've got fun stuff to talk about, I'm sure, because uh, shooting season is in full swing. So uh, I'm sure there's lots to talk about. Who would like to go first? That's what I really want to know. Ben, you do. I want to go first? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Joel came and saw my reloading setup, among other things, earlier uh, this year. And Joel's a nice, a nice guy. But when it comes to shaming you for not having the correct stuff, Joel's not a very nice guy. So Joel Joel gave me some constructive criticism about my reloading setup. And he uh -huh. said that if you don't have one of the devices I'm about to show you, you are stupid and poor. And I'm like, whoa, I don't want to be either one of those things. I did not say that. Everybody knows that you're all. nice and you absolutely didn't say any of the stuff that I'm going to hang on you, Joel. But I'm just going to keep talking as if that's not the truth okay I, act, I actually said ben why do you not have one of these like i'm right and i'm like I'm well amazed. i would have to send an email to the shop and tell them to mail me one and that would take effort it takes a lot more effort to load those stupid primer tubes by hand my man that's what you said to me and i said that's a compelling <laughs> argument so right here i have in my hands an rf 100 which uh i've been using other methods to fill primer tubes joel got me on the rf 100 which is made by dylan by the way Yes. So, uh, yes, I've been using it, I don't know, like six months or so since Joel told me that I should have one. And it is, it's exactly what it's cracked up to be. It fills up the primer tubes more or less without issues, except depending on the type of primer you're using, maybe it'll flip them upside down occasionally or get hung up in there sometimes. But if you just shake it, then it just does what it's supposed to do. And it costs a lot of money for what it does, but it's kind of worth that money. Is that a, that's a pretty fair summary, right, Joel? Yes. If you would uh, adjust like the speed at which it vibrates, <laughs> no. you would alleviate those issues. Always. But no, nope. we go yeah, full speed. That's all we do. It has it only has one speed, which is max apparently. <laughs> one speed. <go. laughs> uh, for normal people, if you would adjust the setting, you won't have that issue. It's just like I, I don't know, a brand like thousands through it, and it doesn't like I don't have problems at all. Um, but well, yes. Go ahead, sorry. Yes, it's so no, I mean it's it's nice. I probably should have had one ten years ago, but I didn't. And now I do. So it's I, I would say what I like about it is just you just unsleeve the primers in it and you hit go and you carry on with whatever else you were doing. Yeah, it's the efficiency. So if you are, 
you know, loading, whether it's auto drive or by hand, whatever, while you're doing that, you just dump a hundred primers in, you hit go, it fills a primer tube for you. You know, you're working your press and then by the time you're ready for primers, you just look over, it's like, oh, this thing's full. You take the thing off, line up top, a little cotter pin, set it back in the tray, put another hundred in it, hit go. And you're just constantly loading ammo, which is awesome. I mean, well, there's, of- there's other tools on the market, right? Mm-hmm. So what's like, that so Viper Prime how much is, like is this that? thing? Is it 400 bucks? I, I forget. I, I don't remember. Uh, three, 380 maybe. Let me check the pro shop. It's something like 400 bucks. What do you guys use? Who I use I, the I classic method of spinning them around on the little black disc and plucking them by hand. Okay, you're going black disc. And what about you, yeah. Mr. Kim? Yeah, I have that vibrator thing. The Viper Prime? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. no Viper Prime I, I use that uh, RF100. Is that the right name? What does it call them? Sorry. RF100. Yeah, what Ben used. I have that one too. Okay. Uh, I do have the Vibe Gun thing. <laughs> Viber Prime, yeah. Yes, the blue <laughs> one that's like 60 bucks. Uh huh. You pull yeah. the trigger and it vibrates and it pushes down the primer to the tube. I think I this thing's more satisfying than the Viber Prime just because of how fast it is. Well, in the exactly. Viber Prime, you have to hold it in your hand while it's doing all that business. Whereas this is you dump the primers and you hit go. And then I go back to, you could be case gauging, loading ammo, clearing your press, I mean, whatever. But you go back to doing something else while it's doing the job for you. I realize it's a lot of money to spend, but when you think about how many years. Uh-oh. Oh, did we lose Joel? He'll come back. So there is well, one other just, option on the market. Yeah, he's just bleeding about this. So the uh, the double Years. alpha primer collator, that's 200 me? bucks. Yeah, we You're lost that. Am I back now? Yeah, that's irritating. Uh, no, I was just saying for how much you use that thing, how much time it'll save you. It's well worth it. You'll use it for years. Yes. Yeah, I I agree. The only like the only the only reason not to have this thing is comes to money, mm-hmm. which is like the Viber Prime is a lot less money, a mm-hmm. lot less money, and it does the job. And then the black disc spinning thing is basically no money, and that also <laughs> right, does the job. But if you have uh, if you have money, trading some of it for one of these is not a terrible idea in my estimation. Now that you so have there is a new one, the double alpha one. Yeah, that one's two hundred. I think that one's still kind of going through its what would you call it teething issues. Yeah, brand That's new to I the hear. market, so people haven't figured it out yet, or they haven't figured it out. Well, it's it's having issues. I think to, like the well, I should have pro shop Tim on here to talk about it, but. Um, yeah, there, there's there can be issues depending on the type of primers you're using and stuff like that. I mean, that one's not. I don't think any of them are perfect. I don't think the double alpha one's perfect either. But I think it's 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 getting sorted out or whatever. I'm sure somebody has one that they've got it working just perfect and they love it. I mean, I'm sure that's a thing. And the double alpha is half the money, also. It's half the money. I I just think you want one that that works for you, especially if you can afford the expensive one, and then you can like. Use that to annoy your friends that don't have one. That's even better. That's yeah, probably like the way you want to go. Ben sent me a video of his using of his like using his to taunt me. I'm like, yeah, like I already have one, dummy. Like I didn't send it to you to taunt you. Oh, okay. No, I was just trying to make you happy. Oh, okay. Taunt you, Joel. Oh, sorry. What was I thinking? I must have you mistaken with somebody else. Yeah, a well, much nicer guy. All right, I so that's the RF100. What? Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, you're okay. Talk about your stuff, Mr. Kim. Oh, okay. 
I, I was gonna say I have a good info for people who reload as well. So uh, talking about the primers, uh, I've been getting some questions on the internet, like how can I get this kind of components or so like bullets, primers, brass, all that stuff? Because right now everybody seems to buy it, and a lot of the firearms are sold. So people are definitely hoarding all the ammo. Uh, so one thing about primers, if you can't get small pistol primers, um, try shooting a small rifle primers or small pistol magnum <laughs> primers. So, so I, my gun is completely factory and it doesn't have any problem igniting rifle, small rifle primers or small magnum pistol primers. And it's more... Yeah, it's easier to find them out. Matt, do you have any questions? Yeah, yeah. No, I I actually am doing the same thing. So I have some mm -hmm. small pistol federals, and then I have small rifle magnum SMP primers. Mm -hmm. And they will only work with the factory setup. They will not work yes. with any lighter springs or anything. So Exactly. If you have like lighter hammer spring or uh, non-extended striker fire, you may ha have some uh, yeah, light strike issues. So if you shoot factory, definitely give it a try if you can't find anything else. And one more thing is uh, the brass. Uh, there's a couple websites people don't know, I think, that carry brass pretty cheap price. Uh, if you don't mind cleaning them, they come dirty a little bit. So if you go brass exchange, they're probably the cheapest uh, brass website I found so far. but they're not like damaged or anything when they ship it, but it's just dirty a little bit. So you definitely want to clean them before you load. Uh, if you want a little bit cleaned, polished one, not processed, but clean, clean ones, uh, go check out East Coast Reloading Supply. Everglades sometimes carry them, but the, the website is pretty popular. So if you are lucky, you'll see it in stock, but typically I don't see it in stock. And Ben Stegger Pro Shop started having uh, Starline brass. So if you're shooting a major match, definitely consider using a brand new brass. So you can uh, get it. Not to there. shit on the Pro Shop, but that Starline brass is basically all of the money. And the Check. last website that actually has in stock right now is Coastline Metals. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know the website, uh, but they I shipped a, uh, bought a couple times. Theirs is pretty well polished too, but the price is already also reasonable too. So if you want it cleaned, go check out Coastline Metals and order some. If you don't bother cleaned or not, if you have a tumbler at home, go to Brass Exchange and buy some. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have a decent like hookup it. where I'm at. Uh, I know about your hookup. Yeah, it's quite good. And uh, Can you bring me some brass, Matt? I don't know. I'll have to ask my guy and see if he has any. You should ask your guy because I like brass. I'm pretty Can much through all the stuff something? I stole from Joel's garage. So You're, you're through all that? I shoot a lot, motherfucker. Like, I need more brass. What? Fight me. <laughs> Let's go. Kim, wow. are you driving to the summit or are you flying? Oh, I'm flying. It's too far. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. I'll take his brass. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask my guy, see what he has. Now we're talking. Yeah. Ask your guy. Great. Who's up next? But to talk about things. Matt, go so ahead, sir. Mine will go a little long, I think, and can bleed into other stuff. So I think Joel oh, should no. go next. Oh, okay. Uh, well, mine's this week in shooting. 
Uh, I shot a practice session with a borrowed carry optics gun or production optics, I guess, based on where you live. Um, it was a Glock 17 with a 2.5 MOA SRO, and I liked it a lot. Um, so I guess the main thing for me that was shocking is to see how the feedback from the dot is right in front of your face. Uh, it's important to note before we get into this that you can see the same feedback from iron sights if you pay attention and you care to look. Um, I was just a little bit surprised of how I didn't have to look. It was just like right there without even trying that hard. I was getting the feedback. So um, I shot a carry optics gun a few times in the past. And I remember trying to make the dot perfect before I was breaking the shot. Remember that was bothering me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't like get the dot exactly where I wanted. And then now uh, shooting we get at a higher level, I immediately realized that I was, that was because I was focusing on the dot and I wasn't target focused. So now that I shoot everything target focused with the iron sights, pretty much, uh, it wasn't a big deal, but I, I thought that was like, it was really easy. I just like, I brought my vision to where I wanted the dot to go and the dot just showed up and I started shooting targets. So that was fun. Um, I messed with dot brightness and I had it like very dim where you could barely see it all the way up to being extremely bright. Uh, my preference for that day and whatever uh, was where it wasn't dim, but it wasn't bright. Either. It was kind of just in the middle, maybe a little <laughs> bit more towards the dim side. So it's like not really one way or the other, just in the middle, wherever. Um, and I didn't think it really bothered me a lot. I noticed when I got it super bright all the way turned up, it it definitely did annoy me because it was too, I didn't say I focused on it, but it was like, it was just too, it was too much, I guess. So I like the Starbust. Yeah. It was just, it was, yeah, too, uh, distracting me too much, I guess maybe it's a way to say it. So, uh, I, I mean, I've received a lot of questions since then. If I was switching divisions or if I thought it was, you know, going to make me better with iron sights or if I was doing that to level up or something, uh, honestly, Did it was just, up? it was just me learning. I mean, I like learning. It was me learning to shoot new things. I wanted to give it a try and just see how it would go. Um, I get a lot of people in classes with carry optics guns. So my second like goal was just to see what I could learn that would be helpful to students. Um, again, kind of to emphasize, over-aiming is the same if you have a dot or iron sights. Drag on, drag off is the same with a dot or without. So it doesn't really matter. I was just trying to learn new ways maybe to explain the same thing. Uh, you know, the people I've been, you know, that I have in class where maybe um, like, Ben, what you'd agree, being able to explain something several different ways is very helpful for relaying information. So just seeing what the I dot is. I agree with that. Yeah, like, oh, it's just a streak or, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway. Well, one thing I noticed right when I was shooting this the dot also, I did have to dim it for me. Same thing coming from iron sights. Mm -hmm. So, but now I'm running basically at full blast. 100% on the, the little gun, the little optic there. So, okay. Kim, do you ever adjust your dot brightness? Yeah. Um, of course, I live in Washington State. So in terms of brightness setting, it's always different. But in terms of how I look at it in the vision, I would typically go up and up until the dot becomes like a starburst. Mm -hmm. And then I would drop one setting down. Then it's like the point where the dot can be the brightest without bursting, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I want a circular shape on the dot, but as bright as possible without going bursting. That's typically. Yeah. But rifle is a little bit different when I shot PCC. I make it a little bit smaller, like a just one click down on that, I think, because there's further shots. 
The other thing I was curious about was if I'd ever lose the dot. Because, I mean, obviously it's on the slide, which is recoiling. And, I mean, as long as you just grip the gun properly, I never lost the dot the whole time I was shooting. I would just bring my eyes to where I wanted it to go, and, you know, the dot would just there. So I liked that a lot. I was just kind of curious how the whole, you know, like how it would work now that I'm at a, a higher level than the last time I'd mess around with one. So I think it fun. is very helpful for a shooting instructor for you for this market to be good with iron sights, minor and major and optics. Mm-hmm. You got to kind of understand all that stuff. Yeah. So I'll probably end up with an SR. I like the SRO. Well, mainly, I don't have have to get a limited gun, too, is what I'm saying, Joel. I'm not getting a limited gun. No. I know, but then (laughs) now you're just disqualified as a good shooter. Just get an open gun. You can shoot a dot and major at the same time. Oh, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't have any patience for stuff that breaks. So from what I hear, the SRO is the most durable. I like shooting it just fine. I didn't have the experience, the double dot thing people were talking about. So. So. I just Mr. Want to set it and forget it. Well, on training group, we have our dot reliability. Um, that's, mega like, th- that's the that's closest right. thing going to a long mega time. we've got going. Yeah, yeah. It's been going for like, I'm going to check. It's been a while. It's been a long Many time, days. but we're starting to see reports now of SROs failing. Mm-hmm. But it took a while to see yeah. that. I would say I'm trying to find that equipment discussion. Yeah, we're starting finally to see reports of them breaking, but it really did take a long time. And anything is going to break at some point. Oh, yeah, of course. That's what we do. We break shit. Uh, One guy reporting, yeah, it lasted 5,000 rounds in his Legion. That's kind of weird. That must be a uh, defective one. Because from what it looks like, like if they last like that, I don't know, 5,000 round mark, they're going to last 30 is what it seems like. And if you have problems in 500 or 1,000 rounds, like it's going to show up right away if it's a defective dot. Is what it seems like anyway. So what are you doing, Kim? Are you still training with the SRO and shooting the Romeo Max 3 or whatever it is? Yes, I'm rotating. I'm rotating them. Do you have a preference, really? Uh, if reliability wasn't an issue, Romeo Max, I would prefer. Because of the cleaner uh, glass on the in the sun. So no uh-huh. glare or no double dot issue there. That's that's about it, because of the window. Fair enough. If you don't have patience for stuff that doesn't work, is the SRO still considered the most reliable? Yes, my practice SRO has 40, 40 to fifty thousand mark somewhere yeah, that's around what, it. That's what I want to hear. Like I don't care about like as long as it's reasonable, it just has to work. So I don't. I, I haven't uh, even cleaned the glass on mine. You don't turn yours off either, right, Ben? No. I never turned mine off either. <laughs> so definitely don't clean the glass. You're a good, Somebody was good like, salesman. you going to clean this? And I was kind of like, eh, seems like a lot of work. If they hold up to Ben, then I'm like, that's okay. I think I could buy one of those with confidence. I may be the worst person ever for equipment. I'm terrible. I don't think you're the worst. You just buy stuff to use it. In fairness. Well, that's true, you buy but somebody, like, like, I have a gun that I've been shooting hard, like, just a couple months. Remember this, uh, the guy look, picks it up and looks at it. He's like, there's a lot of holster wear on this. And he's like, this isn't like what? You know, remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. That was funny. I was like, <laughs> huh? What? Like, yeah. yeah. That's fine. Who cares? Holster wear. I think that came from the Gen 5 Glocks supposedly being very, very resilient to wear. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't care. And you basically just spilled this proven that 
(laughs) If you think anything's resistant to wear, just give it to me for a while and we'll see. We'll see about that. You buy it to use it. That's fair. It's like you're dragging it behind your car, like doing some torture test with it. You just buy it to shoot it. It's fine. No. Yeah, there's no reason to drag it behind the car. I'm going to break it myself eventually. I don't need to do anything. Yeah, or dig some hole and then bury it. And yeah. Oh, I buried this underground overnight. I took it out in a shot again. It's like, oh, wonderful. Like, I'm so excited for you. That's the best. Get all the views on YouTube doing that. <laughs> I know. That's it's exactly so, what we so need. so dumb. Like, oh, I lit this gun on fire and it still shot afterwards. Like, oh, wonderful. That's a good story right. about that. Mr. Matt. Let's talk about your topic. So my topic is going to be coaching. Not in the traditional sense of like people coaching someone through a course of fire. I'm going to talk about coaching at and like taking this sport as real as like a real sport as possible, right? Is this not a real sport, Matt? You're really hurting my feelings. I'm questioning some life choices I've made. Well, now that I'm finding out this isn't a real sport. In the traditional sense, it's not. You're right. Oh, shit. So, I mean, normally people like tennis stars go out and they'll have a coach. They'll have like a strength coach, a technique coach. Golfers will have a like a workout coach and they'll have a caddy and then they'll have a swing coach. But shooters don't typically go out there and have coaches, right? Like how many people do you know that have an active coach like that train them on anything? Not many. Maybe, maybe it's like practice partners probably as close as it gets to, I think, for most people. Yeah, I would think that too. So I've actually enlisted the help of some coaches and I'm going to take that up and see how that goes. And uh, just uh, I don't have a lot of feedback right now, but I will report on it later. And I would just say stay tuned. Oh. Tell me more. I'm excited uh, to hear more about so this. So like a shooting coach or like a life coach? <laughs> well, one I would definitely not take life advice from. One <laughs> I should take life advice from. But both I would take shooting advice from. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I have a question, Matt. Yeah, go so, ahead. Long time ago, I remember you said something about, the uh, uh, what was his name? Basham? Lenny Basham? Yeah, Lenny Basham. Mm-hmm. You took like a course or something? Was it like a coach thing or more of a taking a class thing? It was more like taking a class. So I actually went down to Texas and went to the mental management business and actually took a like a weekend class from them. It's actually through the week, but it was like a two day thing where you go in, there's like four people in there with you and he takes you through the entire mental management program. Mm So you learn about all the different stuff. You learn about visualization. You learn about directive affirmations. You learn how, like, what is the beginning of a process? What's the middle and what's the end? And he takes you through that. He has, like, a follow-up on you kind of thing. No, like, his follow-up actually costs money, and, like, they could do it, and they're willing to do that. Mm -hmm. But I I didn't pursue that path on that. Okay. So what do you guys think about coaches? You think it's worth it? You think it'll be a good good thing? Yeah, for me, absolutely. I actually, uh, not right now because of the pandemic, but I have physical trainer, Charlie, my friend, also on PSTG too. 
he okay. understands the shooting part, and he himself was a uh, uh, the football player, so he really helped me with movement part of the aspect in the sport, stability stuff, and general fitness too. So I, that was really good for me. I, I yeah, okay, I sorry. seek out coaching advice from the right people as much as I can, Matt. Like just getting another person to bounce ideas off of. It's not really about how good they are at shooting. It's just getting different ideas. Right. Absolutely. I agree completely. Yeah, it's not just posting a video like on Facebook. Like, hey, anybody that sees this, what do you think? But yeah, or uh, drop names. Like my friend John Anderson uh, is coming to stay with me on the weekend. I guess to date this a bit. But yeah, like I'll just be training hard with him for two days. Like, I'll, hey, what do you think of this? And he does stuff. And maybe he'll pick something out in my shooting. And maybe I'll pick something out in his. And it's just it's just a, a good experience or like training with Ben or the summit coming up. It's just I think it's always a good idea to have more people looking at your shooting. And maybe they give you something that you think about. You're like, no, that's not it. And maybe I will say this with one exception. Well, not not one exception. I suppose many exceptions. But there's a particular circumstance that doesn't need a coach. And that's somebody that has 100 coaches. You know what I mean? Like somebody who puts themselves out there like, oh, I'm a new shooter. And then immediately, especially if it's a girl, they'll have like 100 people <laughs> like trying to help, you know, like, oh, my, that's the worst. Yeah, that is the worst because then so they can't why, put anything in play. Why do you guys think people don't seek out coaching in this, this sport? In the I, traditional sense, I guess, right? Well, most people aren't really in this for how well they can do, quite honestly. Yeah, but there's a certain number of people that are. Right. And they and they act like they don't actively have coaches. So they're basically being their self coach, right? Well, it's I think the same. It's a lot of how many people how many people uh really train? Like really practice and try to get better. At your club, be probably ten percent. No, not even that. Yeah, so you have a very small population of people that are even really doing anything to try to get better. And then you have a lot of people who have, you know, some ego thing about about seeking out other help. That's that's part of it. And the other part of it is they just don't want outside opinions. They just like want to kind of do the thing themselves or they think they know how to train or how to improve or how to get better on their own. Yeah, I mean, I think about like like what Ben said, the ego, like unsolicited advice. If you just walk up to homeboy and you're like, hey, by the way, did you know you like this, this, and this? Like, that's not going to go over well. So the person has to be in a mindset or personality type where they want to receive that information or they're seeking that information. So there's a lot of times where I'll be, I'll shoot a match with somebody that I don't know. And then they'll ping me after the match and ask about, like, hey, did you pick out anything that I could do better or whatever? And I always have to think really hard to find stuff. Because truthfully, I'm not even paying attention. Like just shooting a match with somebody, I'm not like trying to coach random dudes. I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, like whatever, do your thing. Because I assume most people aren't really interested yep. in that, which is a fair assumption. Most people are not really interested. They just want to do their thing. And that's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, I get that in the middle of matches sometimes. And it's, like even just like directly being asked after it, it's hard to remember to do that because like at the match, that's not what I'm thinking about really. Mm -hmm. Not at all. You're not paying any attention, right? No, like like basically no one on that. And you almost make a point to not pay attention to other people's shooting. 
like I'll pay attention to certain aspects of like, well, did the activator sequence work yeah. good on that? And is that the right way to do it? <laughs> but like picking out if he like over transitioned on that target or whatever, whatever number of issues that it could be like, I'm not picking that out or thinking about that or like even remembering it enough during the match and especially after the match to kind of go back and debrief somebody. Uh, I have seen one thing that I think is kind of interesting. Sometimes you'll see somebody where they don't want any feedback. They just, you know, like I'll do my own thing. I train hard. I don't need help. And then at some point I've had the experience where there's like some barrier or breakdown or for whatever reason they ask for help. Have you seen, what do you think of, have you ever noticed? And like, if I give some, you know, piece of feedback and they choose to take that on board, they think about it. Like after that, people are a lot more receptive, not even from me, but just from others. I think I've seen people kind of get the, or like they think they know what's going on and someone else looks at their shooting and they're like, oh, like maybe there's a lot more stuff that I didn't realize was happening. And then after that, people kind of realize like, hey, I, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe getting other opinions is a good idea. And then I've seen people more receptive to that than afterwards or asking more people for their thoughts. Yeah, I see that kind of case a lot. Uh, I see like people who want to look like a certain shooter, like a top shooter, then they try to uh, copy those results and maybe perhaps post some Instagram post about it too. But in, in reality, the process, what they're doing and process what the top shooter is doing is very different. People try to skip a lot of steps uh, with, without really going through deep into what they actually have to do step by step, but they just try to look like them and then that can result skipping a lot of core skills, fundamentals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys were going to give advice to somebody that was trying to go seek out a coach, what would you guys say? It would depend on the circumstance that person's in. So if somebody's just starting, I would probably not tell them to go get a coach and more like just have a buddy to go with to matches. You know, when they're just starting, if they've shot a little bit and they understand what's going on and they've practiced a little bit on their own on some level, you know what I mean? They kind of they're into everything. They know what's they going on. They know the on. game. Yeah, mm -hmm. they understand that stuff. Then they would then it would be easier to recommend like, hey, yeah, go go get a, a coach and then you can make more specific recommendations about what what that should look like or who that should be. Yeah. And having a training partner is a good idea, too, because otherwise not everybody has a trained eye where they're able to pick out something. We're watching somebody shoot two stages like, oh, yeah, have you noticed every time in like two stages? Most people can't pick that out. So maybe they need to go practice with them a few times. They can notice a trend, you know, where they see something happening more times before they pick up on it just because they maybe they don't see it right away. My recommendation is uh, right now it's pretty difficult to uh, learn a decent skills. What I mean by that is there's so many videos out there, internet, uh, there's so old techniques, old gears. People talk about the old technique as if it's still valid technique. So like in terms of mindset for learning, even if you're not trying to be a world champion, try to actually learn from the top shooters and have a mindset of uh, learner to be the top, if that makes sense. So the technique you learn is not wasteful or very old one that's never really helpful for you to be a top shooter. But even if you're not going to be one, try to 
gather knowledge and study materials from very verified knowledge, if that makes sense, or from the top shooters. Yeah. Uh, credible actual, sources. Yes, credible sources, actual shooter that actually shoots right now with a decent technique who practices regularly and someone who doesn't stop learning. Is there some kind of group or something like that? <laughs> oh, I thought you're never yes, going to ask. Definitely. There yeah. is. Yeah, well, PSTG, Practical Shooting <laughs> Training Group. Uh, ben, to put you on the spot, how many hours are on Training Group worth of video? Or do you Could you even guess? I, I, I really don't know. Uh, it's got to be, what, north of 500 hours? Isn't that oh, easy? I can pull up, I'll pull up our Vimeo server right now because we have, a, I don't know what we have, seven terabytes of uh, video space that we have that we pay for. Let me pull this up and see what. Uh... I bet it's north of 500 hours. Yep. Anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of content. Between... We have 396 videos sitting up in our server. Uh, it's 460 gigabytes sitting there just for you to watch, Joel. Just for you. I've probably watched. And that's not including any of the feedback videos that people yeah. had. <laughs> not including any yeah. of that. That all feeds into a different thing. There's a lot of video, but uh, training group is good because it's it's um, it's not one kind of one viewpoint, like one instructor, like, hey, do it like this, and this is the only way to do it. It's more of a dialogue. It's more of a conversation. That, by design... Uh, once it can work independently, like I don't know what he's making or what he's going to post or anything. I don't know. And he doesn't know what I'm doing. And that's by design. So it's very, it's very kind of independent. And I'd like, and I want to keep adding in more stuff. So people get a lot of different, different viewpoints on things. And if they find something that clicks for them, that works for them, then that's great. That's what I want to see. Well, Hey, we're ready for a question, guys. Sounds good. Yeah. Yes. All right. I'm new to competition shooting. I found that the uh, eight years of just target shooting gave me a lot of bad habits that I'm trying to fix. My biggest issue is shooting with one eye closed. No matter how much I try, I can't do it with both open. Do you guys have any tricks that might help? I do. Yes, Matt. Go ahead. So take your non-dominant eye and put something to partially block it. That could be a paster on your glasses. It could be scotch tape, some, something that blocks it, that just takes out and removes a double vision that you'll see. But it also still lets you see the ground when you're running, see fault lines where you're moving to, lets you see like the peripheral vision around it. So you still have your depth perception, but you're not worried about the double vision or double sights. Uh, Matt, give me a specific... So like... I I don't remember the exact, but you used to put like scotch tape over the very center of like the center of what your eye would see. Is that correct? So yeah, so you could still so, see the. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I could basically I could see basically from my wrist down, mm -hmm. and from just above the iron sights up, and then mm -hmm. left and right of the gun probably, like it blocked a very specific spot, only where the gun would be. So it wasn't covering the whole glasses. It was just a little spot on the glasses. Mm -hmm. And I've re like I used to go with just a paster because it's easy to take off and put back on because there's pasters everywhere. Um, that's what I, I kind of ran around with the last couple of years. Nice switching uh, to CO and the dot. I've taken that completely off. 
and don't have to worry about that right now. Uh, I've seen guys use chapstick also on their glasses because it's easy to, like with the paste, it's tougher to get off and chapstick. They just, you know, it's super easy to take off when they're done. Um, I think this guy might be in the situation where he did target shooting kind of casually, got himself shooting, like close an eye so he can make tight shots or whatever. And he, if he's just started shooting USPSA and he's not doing regular practice to keep both eyes open, this is never going to get fixed. You guys get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if he's just going to matches and shooting and then, you know, naturally his kind of his, his he's predisposed to close an eye without specific training. Like, so doing dry fire and the only thing he's thinking about is keeping both eyes open for the whole session and doing that for you know a couple of weeks. This is not going to get fixed. That'd be one thing I have to say. And the other thing I'd have to say is depending on what level you're at for shooting and what your goals are, this may not even be a problem. Like it, I, I think it's better to shoot two eyes open. Don't get me wrong. But if, you know, you're just starting in USPSA and like, let's say you're like anybody who's new, like you're all fucked up and whatever. And his goal is to get into B class. Well, you don't need to shoot two eyes open to be in B class. You just don't. I don't think you need it to go like almost all the way. I agree with you, Matt. I do. Like, I think you can go well, like, at least to the top 16 without it. I agree. And I think, like, I I did the close one eye thing for a while because I was just, I was a target shooting dude also. And then... uh, You were Area 3 champion. Yeah, in C-class. It was awesome. (laughs) Hey, Joel, you know what? I've won. I've never won an Area Championship. Well, I'm one up to you, Matt. Exactly. (laughs) Uh... But as I got better, then I started, like, I would close one eye for really tight shots and the open stuff. I just, through, like, just shooting, I just, like, oh, the really close open stuff, I don't need to close an eye. And that just kind of, like, just progressed. So, but, yeah, I agree with what you guys are saying. It's not, like, a deal breaker. I wouldn't let that be your your one hang-up when you're starting. Because there's probably a lot of other stuff that's lower-hanging fruit that you need to address. There there are, actually, a couple uh, previous world champions that who shot one eye closed. And when I open. But here's what I did uh, when I first started shooting to fix that. Uh, what I basically did is I would just aim the gun on the target, not doing anything else. And then I would aim with the one eye open only. And then aim the side, like alignment and stuff. And I would slowly open my eye, uh, the other eye open. And then see what's happening on my focal depth, uh, both left and the right eye. If I can keep that clarity on the front side uh, all, all the way as I'm opening up. And then I try to actually uh, shut down both eyes, basically uh, shifting both eyes focal depth to the target as I'm opening. And then another one, I would try to focus on the front side with both eyes, which now like front side becomes weird, target becomes weird. So I went through a phase where I'm slowly opening the other eye to see how I can change the focal depth for left eye and the right eye as I'm opening both of them. So it, it took a while to, uh, I think, completely be comfortable with both eyes open, if I remember. Yeah. Well, guys, is that another Bang Up podcast? Aren't they all? Yes. They're not all, but that one maybe was okay. <laughs> all right, listeners, if you have a question you want the answer to, go to bensteger.com. Send me your question. We'll love to talk about it.